As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. I asked him about a bad deal that he's done or a deal that hasn't gone right. And here's what he said. This is what's so powerful. He says, I've had no bad deals, period, but I've lost money through bad habits and practices. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. We got Theo Hicks with us. How you doing, Theo? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you doing today? I'm doing well and looking forward to this. So follow along Friday. Today is going to be a recap of just three of the lessons I took away from last week's conversations with interview guests. These interviews will be aired on a future date, probably in about three or so months. So here's a sneak peek of some things that you'll be learning about. So first lesson, this comes from Logan Freeman. He's a real estate investor developer. He's an agent. He completed over 120 transactions in less than one year. And that's what, based in Kansas City, Missouri, that's what I wanted to hone in on because that was a whole lot of transactions in a short amount of time. And he partnered up with someone who had more experience and that person showed him the ropes. But one thing that Logan told me during the interview is they looked at 650 homes during that year and made offers on about 450 of them. And clearly when you're making offers on 450 homes in that period of time, or really in life, but in this case, it was over 12 months, there's got to be some efficiencies and some tips that he could share that would help us during the process if we're making offers on homes because they're doing it at a higher volume. So what did they learn and what did he learn in particular? One thing that he mentioned, he mentioned a lot of things, very helpful things, but one thing in particular, he said, He would always call the listing agent. He found that when he called the listing agent prior to submitting the offer and built rapport with that listing agent, 
he would get those homes more often than the ones that where he was not calling the listing agent. It'd be the similar offer, but the only variable was the phone call. And he said what he realized is that the listing agents have a lot more pull than what we give them credit for. And just that one phone call and talking to the agent about why you're offering what you're offering and establishing a connection with them would allow them to get more deals and allow them to get really good deals as a result of building that rapport. So there's a tip for anyone who's making an offer on a house or a property, call the listing agent first or have your agent call the listing agent first, whatever is the most appropriate thing. Talk them through why you're offering, what you're offering. Attempt to build the rapport with the listing agent and you'll at minimum be where you started so you don't lose anything. At most, you're going to give yourself a competitive advantage and build rapport or your agent will build rapport with them and you'll have a higher likelihood of getting your offer accepted at the price that you want with the terms that you want. Yeah, I would imagine this kind of strategy would obviously work for any type of deal you're buying, but I'm sure Logan might be looking at a residential single family home just because, as you mentioned, the listing agent does have some sway over the seller just because they're supposed to be you know, the expert, whereas this person selling it, it might just be their, their personal residence and they don't know anything about what the value should be, what they should ask for from the buyer, things like that. So yeah, if, if you call them up, not only will you build rapport, not only will you might be able to get additional information about why they are listing it for that price, but you might also, by explaining your offer to the listing agent, they might be able to present that to the buyer and that might, it might actually be a buyer who's not necessarily changing their mind, but mm-hmm. willing to go with you over someone else. I don't know specifically why, but in my mind, that's what I'm thinking makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you when I've purchased a property, a single family home, and I knew some people who the seller knew, I wrote a letter to the seller and I name dropped the people that we both know and just made some inside references, inside jokes about the person because the person we both know is kind of goofball. And I mentioned that plus why we're looking to buy the property, et cetera. And they said, not directly to me, but they said to someone else who we both know, they said that was a main reason why we're able to get it at the price we're get it at. We still paid a fair price, but it was a very competitive situation. And they said that letter and the correspondence is really what stood out and allowed us to get that deal. Yeah. I'm kind of going through that right now. I just thought of this as well as we mentioned that a letter, by you doing that, the person that's selling the property is going to trust you more. At the end of the day, when you're selling a property, your main concern is actually closing. You can get the best offer ever at $100,000 above the second best offer, but then they don't close and you're back to square one. Maybe you lost that initial second offer and you have to settle for something even lower. So by you know, sending a letter or by calling up the agent and actually putting a face or at least a voice to that offer, you're building more trust and they're going to trust that you're going to be able to close as opposed to someone who kind of just sends in an offer and doesn't necessarily do anything else above that. I agree. All right, Caroline Carter, she's a founder and CEO of Done in a Day. She's helped more than 2,000 families prepare their houses for sale for top dollar and avoid the chaos of stress of moving based in D.C. She gives us five tips for how to appeal to today's buyer. 
So when we're selling a property, primarily one to four units we're talking, here are five tips to appeal to today's buyer. And before I get into those five tips, let's talk about her approach. And her approach is to think of our house as a marketable product that we have to package and sell. It's not our home. It's not about us. It's about the buyer. And this is now their perspective home. So first think of it that way and then think about how do we market and package this product so that it appeals to the buyer. So that's the thought process going into it. Now here are five tactical things you can do to appeal to today's buyer. One, neutralize the walls. And she goes into all this in detail during our conversation. One, neutralize the walls. Two, declutter. And making mindful decisions about what you own and what you don't want to own anymore, what you want to give away. Because when you're selling your property, then it's much easier because you have less stuff whenever you're moving into the new property. Three is make fast, easy, and inexpensive updates. She gives some specific examples upgrade hardware on cabinets. She said you can resurface appliances. There's a sheet metal cut you can put on appliances to make it look stainless steel so you can simply refinish appliances. Three, have white stuff all over like white bedding, white towels, make the room look nice and clean and airy. Four, you want to make sure that you guide the buyer's visual tour. So as you're going through the home prior to listing it, make sure you know what is the likely path they're going to go through your house and be intentional about what you're putting there. So for example, not having pictures of your family and instead having things that really highlight the features of the home. I know that tip isn't as specific. She gets in more details during the conversation and it's not my personal strength having that fine touch. So hire someone who does have that fine touch or find someone who does have that fine touch. So that's that's five, right? Neutralize the walls, declutter, fast, easy, quick expenses, number three, white bedding, four, and guide the buyer's visual tour, five. And just a bonus thing, in the backyard, make sure that you look as closely to the exterior as you look at the interior because the exterior is going to be the first impression, especially in the backyard too. Make sure you've got nice colorful flowers, things like that. So those are five tips plus a bonus tip for appealing to today's buyer. I liked her stuff so much I bought her book. If you search in Amazon, you'll find her book, Caroline, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E-M Carter. And her website's carolinecarter.com. I don't have her book title in front of me. It's downstairs because it already arrived. But she gives some really good tips if you're looking to sell a home. When you said neutralize the walls, it reminds me whenever I go home for a weekend or whatever, HGTV is always on at my parents' house. I understand that those shows aren't real, but they're kind of real in a sense. And <laughs> one of the consistent themes you'll see when they walk up a new house, they'll see really ugly colored walls. And like that will be something that goes with their decision of not buying the property, even though yeah. it's a fix. But it's like they see it and they're instantly turned out from the house itself. So That's I believe really that one right there for sure is very true. Yeah. Neutral color for all of your walls. No pink, purple, crazy blues, crazy greens, things like that. A thousand dollar fix if you pay someone influences if they purchase a two hundred, three hundred, five hundred thousand dollar, million dollar home. It's insanity, but that's just how it is. It kind of goes back to the fact that the people make their decisions off of emotions. 
not based off stone cold facts like, oh, it's just a thousand dollars. But no, you go in there, if you don't feel right in that ugly room, you're right. not going to want to buy the house. Yeah, it's true. And the last tip and such a powerful mindset tip. This is from H.J. Chamas. He invests all over the world based in Dubai. He's got property in Asia, Europe, Dubai. Um, he's got two or three properties in like five or six countries. <laughs> like, why do you do that? But he talks about his thought process and why he does it. I asked him about a bad deal that he's done or a deal that hasn't gone right. And here's what he said. This is what's so powerful. He says, I've had no bad deals, period, but I've lost money through bad habits and practices. And just powerful. Because any deal can be a good deal if approached the right way, if purchased the right way, if having the right terms, if executed properly, if getting the right financing in place, if having the right team. It's not about the deal itself. The property is the property. It's how do you approach that transaction? And I love this thought process because it's really taking ownership of what we do. It's not the deal that went wrong. It's us that went wrong. So he said, I've had no bad deals, but I've lost money through bad habits and practices. So I love it because it puts the ownership on us and on us to get better. And Jim Rohn talks about don't wish it were easier, wish you were better. And that's in line with this. So really focusing on our habits and practices that put us in a position to be successful or unsuccessful based on what those habits and practices are, because my worst deal could be someone's best ever deal because they approached it much better with better practices and habits than I approached it and vice versa. Yeah, I 100% agree with this concept. I haven't talked about it yet and I won't go into a lot of details. I still haven't closed on my properties yet, but it's kind of the same thing. Whenever I made the decision to sell them, I didn't necessarily lose money, but I didn't make as much money as I wanted to. And it's like, oh, well, whose fault is that? Is it the person I bought it from who misled me on certain things? Is it my management company's fault? Is it my real estate agent's fault? Blame other people or is it reality? You know, even if you can say that, oh, well, the proper management company made mistakes, well, it's my fault for allowing that to happen. Or it's my fault for being misled or it's my fault for whatever other excuse I make. So you can really apply this to anything. Even if someone did something wrong to you, there's still always a way to figure out what you did incorrectly, what you missed, what you didn't see, what you failed to do. Because at the end of the day, you, you can't really control what your management company is going to do. You can just control who you pick and how you manage them. And even if they are the worst part of management company in the world, what's your fault for not changing them faster. I'm not saying that's the case on my identities as an example. So Yep. I love it. When we take ownership over things, then we'll be more successful financially, certainly, because we're not concerned about other variables we can't control. We're just concerned about ourselves and improving ourselves incrementally every day. I love it. Yeah. There's a book. I haven't read it yet, but I've listened to the author's podcasts and I've heard my other podcasts. I'm sure you've heard of this guy before. His name's Jacko Willink. He's oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Navy SEAL. Yeah. It's called Extreme Ownership. Dude gets up at like four o'clock in the morning and just gets after it in the gym. So that's kind of his entire philosophy as well. Just take ownership for everything. It's all on you. It's on no one else. Yep. Cool. Good stuff. Those are some solid lessons. 
by the way, last week we closed on two deals. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, we'll celebrate that. But more importantly, we'll celebrate that we have a lot of returning investors in those two deals and they've seen the results that we've generated and we're continuing to get word of mouth referrals from those investors, which is the highest compliment we could get. So we're grateful for everyone listening who is in those deals. Grateful to be partnering up with you on them and looking forward to successful projects together. Absolutely. You guys, the first deal in Florida as well. Yep. You, you guys follow me down here. Yep. <laughs> All right. So moving on to the trivia question. So this is the month of the wacky real estate laws. So this is the last week of that. I'm not sure what we'll do next month, but it'll be some other category. So uh, last week's question was what Northeastern state has a law that states you aren't allowed to build a fence that is taller than six feet. And Joe used his deductive reasoning and picked Rhode Island, and he was correct. So in, awesome. Rhode, in Rhode Island, you're not allowed to have a fence taller than six feet. I think the other state that has a law for how high fences can go, I think it was California, and they can't be over 10 feet. So this week's question, again, this is the last wacky real estate law question. What Western state... So again, I got to be more geographically specific. I can't just do all 50 states. So what Western-ish state has a law that has a restriction on keeping upholstered chairs, couches, and mattresses in the yard or front porch? So in other words, furniture that is not manufactured for outdoor use. And I'm going to give you an extra hint. The reason is because in this particular city, a lot of people are known, it's a party city, and uh, a lot of people were burning their uh, furniture and mattresses and stuff on their front yards. They implemented this law in order to minimize that. So are you looking for a city or a state? It's going to be a state. Okay, but it's only about a particular city? Yeah, within that state, yeah. Okay, so in the whole state, you can't have that because of a particular city within the state? Yeah. Got it. Well, I know this isn't West, but West Virginia, Morgantown, they burn couches all the time whenever good things happen. But you said it was in West. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just Utah. I don't know why. No deductive reasoning there. Just random guess. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, everyone else put their random guess either in the YouTube comments or you can email info at Joe Fairless. First person to get the correct state will get a free copy of our first book. And then lastly, we're changing up how we conclude these episodes. Well, rather than doing the review of the week, we are going to do the free apartment syndication resource of the week. So if you haven't already, check out our Syndication School series. So we release two episodes every Wednesday and Thursday to focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for most of these episodes, we give away some sort of free resource, document, a spreadsheet, a template, and all that can be found at syndicationschool.com. We're going to start mentioning each week a free resource that is available on there, and then we're going to put that free resource in the show notes of this episode. This week's free document is going to be our Master the Lingo document. So this was all the way back in series number two, where we discussed the two requirements before you're ready to become a syndicator. And one of those was education. So if you bought our syndication book, obviously this free Master the Lingo document is not as detailed as that because it's not 450 pages long. But this is going to be not only a glossary that defines all the important terminology and concepts and return factors for syndication, but we also go through a lot of examples. There's also data tables, graphs, so you can visually see what these are. 
So that's the mass filling of document. And you can download that by just clicking the link in the show notes, or you can go back and listen to the episodes 1499 and 1500, where we went over the master lingo document. Wonderful. What a gift and best of our listeners enjoyed our conversation and I hope you got a lot of value from it and we will talk to you tomorrow. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net.